We now want to turn to that Bible passage that James was making reference to in the prophet Zechariah, uh, Zechariah chapter 3. And if your page numbering on a physical Bible is the same as mine, it's page 951. And this passage is entitled, uh, Clean Garments for the High Priest. Zechariah chapter 3, and we will begin to read at verse 1, and let's hear God's word. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I have put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. And we thank God for this reading of his truth. Amen. If I could have the, the PowerPoint up behind me. Um, some of the music aficionados that are among us uh, may be aware or remember uh, Radiohead's 2007 album In Rainbows, uh, which was sort of uh, very unusual in its day because this was the first time that any uh, music producer uh, made an album available, at least initially as a, a music download, but they enabled that as a music download for which you could pay whatever you thought it was worth really upset the, the wider music industry uh, because it sort of opened up an entirely new way of, of doing things. But there's a couple of songs on that album that I want to, to quote just now. The last song on that album was called Videotape, and it depicts someone arriving at heaven carrying a videotape, which was a summary of the guy's life. 
Here's how it goes. It says, when I'm at the pearly gates, this'll be my videotape, my videotape. Mephistopheles is just beneath and he's reaching up to grab me. This is one for the good days, but I have it all here in red and blue and green. So there's a picture here of someone arriving at heaven uh, and he's trying to get in, but he's got this tape, and this tape that, that represents all of his life, everything that's recorded here. And it's also as if the devil's there, and the devil's trying to grab him and to pull him away. And so when we sort of think our way through the lyrics of that song, what it's really getting at is an issue that so many of us actually wrestle and deal with, uh, which is, of course, guilt. And it's shame for the things that we have done, our experiences of life and those things that we carry and we can't get rid of. We wonder how we can actually deal with that. And there's another song on that album which is entitled Nude. And in that song, he writes about, and again, he writes about here, and I'll just maybe quote it again. It says, you can paint yourself white and fill up with noise, but there'll always be something missing. You'll go to hell for what your dirty mind is thinking. So when we put all of this together, again, it's got this idea that maybe you can try and cover up your, your life. You can pretend that things are a little bit different. You can fill your life with noise, with, with so many other things. Uh, for some of us now, that might be things like banter, and that might be reacting in with a lot of cynicism at times, but whatever coping mechanism that you're actually trying to portray or put out to others, there is this emptiness and there is this pretense. But ultimately, we are left with the question is, how do we carry our guilt? How do we carry our, our, our shame? And that might be something that now today that you may be wrestling with to an extent that's a thought that's, that most of us at some point will carry maybe uppermost at our minds uh, from time to time. But it's exactly into that that Zechariah chapter 3 begins to speak. And in preparation for today and what I was reading, uh, I came across one guy who was able to put this in six statements, which really got to the heart of the passage. And no matter what else I read, I couldn't unread uh, what this one guy had said, because I thought he put it so well. So I'm just going to run with these six statements. But before I get to the six statements, there's actually three main characters in this story that I just want to remind you of. There's Joshua, whom we've been reminded is the high priest. His grandfather was also high priest. His grandfather, Sariah, was high priest whenever Jerusalem was invaded. And the Babylonians came and they carried everybody away. Joshua was born in Babylon, but he was one of the 50,000 people who had returned to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. So that's who uh, Joshua is. Then we've also got this person who's described here as the angel of the Lord. And this is a descriptor which happens on several occasions throughout the Old Testament. It's a, it's a bit of a, a mysterious person. There's some debate about who we actually think this is. But what we know about the angel of the Lord every time we hear about this character is that he speaks on behalf 
of God. He at other times represents God. Genesis chapter 22. Uh, there are other points at which he is so impressive and dazzling that men fall before him. Judges and Joshua, uh, various chapters in, in those books. And he doesn't dismiss that worship. And so there's a sense that he actually embodies the divinity and the divine person, not only speaking on behalf of God, but actually, we could say, actually is God. So I take the traditional interpretation as to who this person actually is, that when we see all these references to the angel of the Lord, who this actually is in the Old Testament then is none other than the second person of the Trinity, that when we, we see the angel of the Lord, who we're actually seeing is Jesus Christ himself in his pre-incarnate form in the Old Testament before Jesus was born. So the angel of the Lord is Jesus before he was actually born. And then we have Satan. You won't need any uh, ideas as to who Satan actually is. He's described here as the accuser, which is a normal enough descriptor as to who he is. We don't know what he was accusing Joshua the high priest specifically of, but it's evidently to do with his filthiness and his appearance and what's going wrong in his life. So now I want to turn to those six statements. Now we know the, the characters that are involved. And as we come to these six statements, what they are about is bottom line knowing that the devil wants to tell you lies. And so some of these statements are coming from the devil and they're lies. But to counter each of those, there's something that we can know about God that is truth that God wants you to know. And so we've got this almost courtroom-like setting where Joshua the high priest is being accused by Satan. And the first point, first statement is simply that Satan wants you to feel hopeless whenever you are clearly guilty. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Now, immediately we're introduced to the, the basic function of what the high priest's job is, which is to represent the people and to stand before the Lord as he does this. But the unimaginable has happened because normally the high priest and any priest they're so clear and so definite about being pure and clean and ready to do that. But here, Joshua is standing in filthy clothes, which is a picture of pure madness to any, any Jew. But we see what Satan is wanting to do, is that Satan is there. And you see at the end of verse 1 that it, he is there to accuse him. And the fact that he's standing at his right hand, again, is symbolic of that this is actually where Joshua should have been getting his strength for service from, his right hand. But it's like Satan is there blocking the way, preventing him being able to do the service that he is called upon to do. And that's exactly what the devil does to any one of us. He accuses us. He accuses you. He's the adversary who slanders every believer. And more importantly, what he, and significantly what he is doing, is that he is trying to tell you today that your situation, because of the guilt that you feel, your situation is utterly 
hopeless. Have you ever sensed the devil saying to you, how can you possibly serve God? Take a good look at yourself and understand what you're really like. You are full of sin. That's the job of what the devil is doing. He points the finger. He says you are utterly hopeless. There's nothing that you can do about your state or your condition. But the truth that God wants you to know in these moments, God doesn't want you to see your situation as utterly hopeless, but God wants you, in your guilt, a recognition that it's real, but God wants you to be sorrowful about that. We read on into verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now at this point, I want you to think about the last time you had a dispute with someone or someone was pointing out something that didn't go well. And in that moment, or maybe three hours later, when that situation and that memory is playing around in your head and you're wanting to react, this is what I should have said and this is what I was thinking and this is what should have gone on, is not the worst bit of that the realization that actually there's a bit of truth in what that other person said? You didn't do everything you could have done. You did say something wrong. You were not the most helpful in that situation. And so when the devil speaks to us, when the devil points his finger at us, the worst bit of all of that is that there is some truth to what the devil is actually saying. But the significant aspect of all of this is what God does in verse 2, which is what he says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Because the Lord stands against Satan's purposes and, and God's word to Joshua is a reminder that yes, he is imperfect, he is weak, he is nothing more than a stick snatched from the fire which is weak and imperfect. But God says, I have still chosen this man. See, God knows you're a sinner he knows you better than yourself. And God wants you to feel realistic about that so as you, you know you are guilty and you feel appropriate sorrow over that. But God's purpose in that sorrow is to move you to the one who is able to do something about that guilt. So God says there's a purpose in feeling sorrowful in your guilt and that's so that you know that you need to have Jesus to take away that guilt and that sorrow in your life. I'm coming to another statement now. And this is another lie that the devil will say. It's entirely the opposite of the last thing that he said. I mean, the last thing that he, he, was, he, he was saying to us was that he wants you to feel utterly hopeless. But there are other times actually when the devil wants you to be completely blind to what your real state is. And he wants to say that you're completely innocent. There's nothing wrong with what you are or what you're doing. 
That's a completely different tack of what the devil is doing. And again, looking down to verse 3, and as we read verse 3, we see that Joshua is standing here uh, before the angel of the Lord, and he's dressed in filthy clothes. But there's a way in which we could read this, in which we could see that Joshua is entirely oblivious to the imperfection and to the filthiness of his condition. That's the irony in this. And, the, and when it talks about his clothes being filthy, this is not a, a little bit like James's jumper, a little bit besmirched by dirt. The word filthy here is pretty much as bad as it gets. So it's really trying to underscore all of that. But what Satan is doing in this moment, we could understand that he's trying to say there's nothing wrong because Joshua, you're good to go. You can, you can carry out your duties. There's nothing wrong. And that is what the devil does. He deceives people about their sin. He blinds people to their sin. He convinces people that they are innocent even when they are clearly guilty. And that's the way that the devil works in the world. And that's why people react with horror whenever they would say to you, who are you? to say that there is anything wrong with my life because who are you to say that my life is out of kilter with the Bible? And so we reason to ourselves at times, everybody cheats, so I may as well cheat. And I'm blind to the wrong aspect of that. It was only a bit of banter, so we, and everybody joined in. There's nothing wrong with it. Everybody thinks like this. Everybody does this. Everybody watches this. Everybody looks at this stuff, and you're a Puritan if you don't. But that's the way the devil convinces us. And the bottom line is that when we refuse to open up our lives to the Word of God, and allow God to direct our actions, we're opening ourselves to Satan's deceptions. So Satan will try and tell you that you are innocent and there's nothing wrong with you. Just stay the way you are. But the truth that God speaks is that God wants you to feel guilt when you really are guilty. Let's read verses four and five together. The angel of the Lord said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And it's the same into verse five. Whenever we read verse four, and it says in that way, the angel of the Lord said, literally that is answered and said. And it's not simply about responding to a question, but reminding Joshua that something entirely different has now happened. There's a whole new standing in his relationship, which points forward to the New Testament understanding of what a believer is in Christ. It's not simply a matter of, of forgiving one or two sins, but everything is completely changed because our standing is in Christ we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Everything is changed because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's emphasized at the end of verse 4, where it says, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. 
And then the, another statement here, another lie that the devil will bring and speak to you. From a different perspective, it's now understanding that when anyone becomes a Christian and they are forgiven, but still what the devil will say to you in these moments, even if you are forgiven, is that you are still guilty. I mean, look down at verse 7 with me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have a charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Now, that's the standing we have in Christ, that we will get this. But you can imagine how the devil will speak that to us. The devil will not allow you to rest in the assurance that you are forgiven and that you will have a new standing in Christ because the devil will say, look closely at what that says at the beginning of verse 7. It says, if you will walk in obedience. And the devil will say to you, but you don't. You don't walk in obedience. You fail and you're a failure. And you do your own thing. You continually mess up. You don't walk in obedience. And the devil will bring into your remembrance all manner of stuff from your past. And we really feel the power of that statement that's now on the wall. That the devil will want you to feel guilty even when you have been forgiven by God. So the Lord answers that. And what God wants you to know is that you are forgiven and that you will feel forgiven when you are truly forgiven. This is what God wants to do for you. This is what God wants you to experience in life. He wants you to understand that all that is filthy is truly gone. Those clothes have been removed. Joshua has now been donned in the most wonderful new apparel. There's a turban on his head. He's got this glorious attire. He's crowned with glory and holiness and he's ready to serve and honor God. And as we understand that this is what God has done for Joshua, so we understand and this is what God has done for any believer. If you today trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've brought Christ into your life, if you've come to him and you've said, Lord, I can't do this myself. I can't clean myself. I can't make myself any better. I need you and I've asked you to come into my life. This is who you are. And as you look down towards the end of verse 8, we see the significance of this forgiveness where it's looking forward and it says, I will remove the sin of the land in a single day. And who's going to do it? As you look back a little bit, there's a reference at the, in verse 8. And it talks about my servant, the branch, which is a, a term used so often in the Old Testament to describe the coming Messiah. But think here just for a moment about who it is who's actually doing the speaking. Remember what I was saying a moment ago about the angel of the Lord? Because that's the one who's doing the speaking at this point. He's speaking on behalf of God. So what we have here in these moments is Jesus. And Jesus is doing the talking in his pre-incarnate appearing. He is now standing as the angel of the Lord telling 
Joshua are telling Zechariah in, that, in this vision as he's standing before Joshua telling him that there's going to be a Messiah coming who is himself. He says, I am going to be coming in the flesh and I am going to be walking on the earth. And I, at the end of verse nine, I repeat it again, I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. That's the gospel. And we are different today because we know the power and the truth of that. That this is what Jesus Christ has really uniquely, specially done for all of us. And maybe if we put it like this, as someone else I was reading put it, you know, because of what Jesus Christ has done when he died on the cross and he bore the penalty of the, of our, of the sin of the world, it means today that you, you do not need to pretend to be anything other than you are. Because God knows exactly what you are like. God knows exactly what you have done in your life, with your life, and what you are currently doing. And nor do you need to defend yourself and try to justify yourself and try to say that because this happened, that's why I had to try and react in that way. We don't need to do any of that. There's no pretense before God. There's no defending yourself before God. You don't need to do any of that. And the reason you don't need to do any of that is because you are not condemned. And the reason you are not condemned is because Jesus stood condemned in your place. And the Lord welcomes you and he offers you forgiveness and he offers you release. And this is where we lay our burdens at the Lord's feet. And it may be that you've asked the Lord into your life a long, long, long time ago and you're rejoicing in that. Maybe it's not burning as brightly as it was, but what we do as we remind ourselves of this is that we come back to the Lord and we recommit ourselves to the Lord and we say, Lord Jesus, I, seeing this, I really know what, what I need to find in you and I want to serve you and I'm not perfect and I'm, I'm, I know that in real terms I, I may be, be filthy and, and, and imperfect, but Lord, you can use me because you've said here that you have chosen us for this and we can recommit ourselves to Christ. Or if you've never done that or seen that in your life, that today you can bring yourself and see what you need in Christ and you see what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Lord, still our hearts. Show us Christ and what he's done for us. Show us, Lord, why we need this Jesus and that you have dealt with my sin, the videotape of my life. Lord, you have cleansed me we do not need to merely have an aspiration or hope for the best for heaven because we know it is certain in Jesus Christ. Our sins, though they are deep, scarlet, 
crimson red, burning hot, they shall be clean, as white as snow. Lord, we thank you for that hope, for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, today, if even if for the first time I take hold of Jesus and I look to you, cleanse me, forgive me, strengthen me. And from this day, I walk in your strength and I stand in Christ. And I have a confidence and I have a living hope Amen.